hands for Jesus. What does that really mean? Almost there, fam. After this finishes, I'll jump right into it. Somebody may be wondering. <laughs> when we sing our song. Times I may be crying. And nothing's even wrong. Anybody understand that? Let me tell you why I sing. I sing because I'm happy. It's the way you wake up in one. I sing because I'm free. It's higher That's the reason why. I could just play this song in the morning. I'm telling you right now. Glory. Hallelujah. You're the reason why I sing. Come on, sing glory. Glory. Almost there, family. Sing with me. Thank you, Jesus. You are the reason why I sing. I'm going to take about 60 seconds, but it's my time. Why do we sing? When we lift our hands, when we lift our hands, oh, when do we really Someone may be wondering. Someone may be wondering. When we sing our song, sing our song. At times we may, at times we may be crying. Uh, and that's the reason why. Well, this is the reason why I sing this one. Oh, 
hear me clearly yes yes perfecto perfecto all right right, i'm gonna put my head in the sand so i can actually read my notes so i'll be here i'm here this is not memorex this is live i'm live i'm live i'm live i'm alive (laughs) really alive good morning jocelyn all right my little angel with her wings all right let's get this party started so I wanted to go back to nine as we jump into this. As I woke up and meditated, prayed on exactly how to get all this up and going. And there was many requests yesterday. Um, a lot of, uh, what, what's really going on here? I thought I actually, you know what? Let me try this. Let me try this. I shut down my WhatsApp. Then nothing should pop up anymore until after I am complete. That's just going to annoy the living daylights out of me. Okay, so let's see if something else goes bubbing. Nope, see? <laughs> no noises. Let's you know that I'm into my 15th life on this planet. I'm old. They might as well call me Moses. Okay, noises. Boy, I tell you, they will irritate an old person. All right. Okay, I'm not really old. I'm not claiming that in the blood of Jesus. Now, the residual effect of what was asked was really to break down the seven pillars um, from yesterday, which is really, um, it, it, I shouldn't have been surprised. I shouldn't have been surprised. I don't know why I was like, ah, you know, and it started with Perla and then several other people and people were asking, could you just, and I think I put somebody else on pause that asked about it. Um, so I'm going to break it down so you guys understand. And I actually put it into a way in which uh, two different dimensions so you can fully understand it and you can have this recording. By the way, uh, the MP3s for at least two or three. I'm not going to do all of them, uh, but I will have it um, starting. And I talked to uh, 
my angel Wendy, and we will have everything um, as far as this one and maybe two of the ones in which resonate with me the most, unless you have a specific request for the last 10 days, no, seven days, because we started three days into it, right? Um, if you have a specific day for one of the Proverbs that was actually spoken on and you want an MP3, then it's not that difficult. It's not going to be that time consuming. I just, I'm going to pick three and if you want them more, and you know, I'll probably have them all within the next week. It's just not the priority, right? So I have priorities and, uh, yeah, you get what I'm saying. So, so when you've heard of the seven pillars, let's just jump right into seven pillars before I go into chapter 10 and break down chapter 10 so you fully understand that. And we really get fed this, right? And I do have, you know, that course on the back end of the proverb. But when we, when, when we listened or heard of the seven pillars, it's the seven pillars of wisdom. That's what you need to understand. They are the seven pillars of wisdom. They are seven ways we are supposed to become wiser in the way that we live our life and the way that we deal with things in life and the origin of the seven pillars it comes from obviously proverbs and it's broken down in nine and it starts in verse one and i'm going to say this in a couple of ways so you're very clear so i can get to chapter 10 but it actually starts out wisdom has built her house it's specifically telling you the house that god has built she is making reference to she has seven pillars see we see a woman we're making reference to a woman that is called wisdom. I'm still gonna have a conversation with God. Well, why didn't you call it a man? Well, we, we, we that dumb? What's going on here? What's, what's, what's really going on? But he makes reference to the feminine gender of she, metaphorically wisdom, called wisdom, building a house. And for that house, she has cut out seven stone pillars. And these pillars, of course, have been used from the earliest times to support the roofs of large rooms, and they have uh, been through times made of wood and stone and sometimes mud brick. And a lot of architects back then, back in the day, had a particular favorite design when designing a more expensive house, and that was to build the house around a courtyard. See, the structure would be supported by three pillars on each side of the courtyard and one in the center. Now, on the third side, facing the open space, which was the entrance, that's where you need to really pay attention. And I'm not going to go into the, the breakdown of that because there's a whole nother background and backdrop to how this was structured. Right now, I just want you to identify the seven pillars. So this woman called Wisdom built her house with these pillars laid out exactly like I'm sharing with you. Now, if we were able to go back in time, when this proverb was written and asked if we could talk to this woman called Wisdom, we would discover that it would be very hard finding her. The reason is because she doesn't exist. What's happening in this proverb is the characteristic of wisdom. It has been personified. Wisdom has been symbolized as a woman who has built a permanent house for herself. Now, we should note that this is not a tent that she has built, which can be moved at a couple of days. Notice this is a permanent solid house with seven pillars in place to support its stone. The whole, st the whole roof is made of stone. In other words, this is telling us the importance and the permanency of wisdom. See, wisdom is a permanent piece in our life if it is to protect us if it is to house us for a long term. 
What we also note is that there are seven pillars. And, and if you go in the Hebrew, seven is Shabbat in Hebrew. Like I told you guys, I wish I could break this, this down and have more of you that truly understood language and understood Hebrew specifically, as I'm now taking up. And I, I mean, having translated, you know, the Iliad, the Odyssey in ancient Greek, and then also having studied Latin, and you guys know my affinity towards linguistics, Sava. I'm sorry, Shava in Hebrew is the number seven, which comes from the root word Saba, which means to be full or satisfied. Ironically, yesterday's meal was the biggest meal I've served of all the Proverbs, and we were full. I mean, when I, 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 I mean, and in doing research on this, it was really just, it was just in so much alignment. It means that we're full or satisfied. Therefore, the number of spiritual perfection is what? Seven. And you can clearly see that this is the case in various places in the Bible. So putting this in summary so that we can get to the meat, we also note that there are seven pillars that are broken down throughout the entire Bible, being made, made reference to in other, in other chapters and in other, other verses. So, if we look at, listen, 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 watch this, watch this, because this is, it's so beautiful when I was forced by God's hand through you guys to go and do the understudy and really make sure that I was sharing it in a greater perspective, not on my own understanding, but on his understanding and really had to go get this information. I understood it in a different way, actually. I, I mean, in the same context, in housing knowledge and housing wisdom and understanding and the way Proverbs has been built. But it really, really dissects it, even in chapter one. See, if we look at verse one, chapter nine, that we went into yesterday, it tells us in the first verse about the seven pillars. I mean, they had already been cut from the rock to build our house to be able to protect us in life and be a GPS and a navigation system for every destination and every destiny that we have. So we got to go back in time to see where they came from. We got to find out their source. We can find the answer in the previous chapter. In chapter eight, wisdom is again personified, but this time as a lodger staying in the house. It tells us in verse 12 and 14, which we will get to in next week, it dwells with and has seven attributes. Now let's go to, to just the first verse, right? If we look at the first verse in chapter nine, wisdom dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. Now, before I actually read this and you really get the, the meaning of this, let me break it down. Let me, let me give you the seven pillars of wisdom. Number one is prudence. Number two is knowledge and discretion. Number three is fear of the Lord or of God. Number four is counsel. Number five is sound wisdom. Number six is understanding. And number seven is power. Now, there are symbolic words in which I'll break down, but I want you to just look at the first verse. Wisdom dwell together with prudence. Wisdom, number one. Prudence, number two. I possess knowledge and discretion, number three. To fear the Lord, number four, is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. 
counsel, number six, and sound judgment, number seven, are mine. I have understanding and power. All seven are in there, even if I miscounted the way I actually said it because I'm going fast. So I'll say it again. Wisdom dwells together with prudence, number one. I possess knowledge and discretion, number two. To fear the Lord, number three, is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel, number four, and sound judgment, number five. I'm still miscounting as I go through this, but all seven are there. The words that should stand out are prudence, knowledge and discretion, fear of the Lord, counsel, sound judgment, understanding, and the last one is power. And it's all in that one first verse. Wisdom dwell together with prudence, one, possess knowledge and discretion, two, to fear the Lord, three, is to hate evil, hate pride, arrogance, evil behavior, perverse speech, counsel, four, sound judgment, five, understanding, I have understanding, six, and I have power, seven, all in the first verse. All in the first verse. It's quite amazing. It's quite amazing. Now, going in and taking even greater notes, see the foundation of the house, and this is going to lead me into number 10, so you guys are clear. The foundation of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9, 10. If we just start on the first one, like I said, wisdom hath built it, her house has hewn out her seven pillars, but it goes right in and understands the foundation of the house. Where it starts is the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of our Lord. That is in Proverbs 9, 10, we covered. See, one does not finally reach the Lord through much study and acquisition of much wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Without reverent trust in God of creation and redemption, there can be no true wisdom for as we get to, as, and, and see, now I'm going to write this down so you have this reference point, 1 Corinthians three eleven. For other foundation can no man lay than Jesus Christ. For other foundations can no man lay than Jesus Christ. See, then erected upon this foundation and supporting all the superstructures of the house of wisdom are seven mighty pillars or columns. But then we have to ask ourselves, well, what are these? And the answer seems to be found in the New Testament in the book of wisdom. It's also found in the book of James where it's said, where, where it's broken down. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. I said this yesterday, James 1.5. Then a wise man and endued with knowledge will show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom, James 3.13. So I'm giving you the different reference points on how this house was built and on the verses and the reference points throughout the entire scripture to understand where to find them. So you see, finally, if you understand this, the seven great pillars seem to be listed in James 3.17. And this is for your own understudy if you want to go there. James 3.17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peace, then gentle, and easy to be entreated full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, this is just another way of saying the seven pillars in symbolic way. That's why I want you to also have that verse, James 3, 17. 
I want you to get with, I'm gonna say that again so it resonates with you and I'm gonna say it slower, stick with me here. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceful, peaceable, I'm just gonna say peace, then gentle, and it's easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The first in the list or central column, carrying more weight than any other columns in the structure, is purity. Then there are six outside pillars, remember? And you got to go back and listen as to how I broke this down in the first part of this. One is peace or peaceableness. The next is gentleness. Then it comes to being reasonable or easy to be entreated means to be reasonable. The next phrase, full of mercy and good fruit, connotes support or helpfulness. The term for without partiality actually means humility. Okay? And then the final pillar is sincerity, which is where all of our power comes from in being transparent and being integritous and being clear. It's amazing how we actually start with the first pillar of purity and in the number of seven completion, we end with sincerity. Do you see how it structures and encompasses or encases this house of wisdom and protects anyone who walks into it as she, being wisdom, begs us to come and get it? Thus, a life of genuine wisdom is a life founded upon the fear of the Lord and supported by genuine purity, peace, gentleness, reasons, reasonable, helpfulness, support, humility, and sincerity. Such a house will never fail. Like never, ever, 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 ever fail. And in that family, you have been fed your seven pillars. Now, yeah, I will want this on MP3 myself because that is what we are pursuing more than anything else in this conversation. Now, let's just jump right into Proverbs 10. And this is really, you're going to love this because it, it just, I mean, I just, I just, I really got a high out of truly reading, dissecting it. And, and no matter how many times I read this, it's like I read it for the first time. It really is like I read it for the first time. So I want to get into it because this is actually where Solomon starts to have, is the Proverbs of Solomon. That's what it's known as. And I'm going to give you both versions and then I'm going to break it down for you. Because it's my understanding that some people have a greater interpretation of listening not hearing, but listing the word through the Old Testament of the King James Version, and others truly get it from the New Version or the New International Version, the NIV Version. So I, I must start from old to new. Let's just start with the Old Version so that you truly get this. And so forgive me if I go a little bit fast, but I want you to make sure that we're all on the same page here. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son maketh a glad father. It's, very, it's pretty self-explanatory. But a foolish son is of the heaviest 
or the heaviness of his mother. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing. Self-explanatory. You pursue wickedness, you will get nothing from it. But righteousness delivers from death. That means we are delivered from death by pursuing or ensuing that which we know is righteous in our Lord, our Savior. The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish. The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. He gets rid of them. You guys are familiar with the castaway or those that just cast, it just be, be gone. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. And I like to go in it because I want to deliver as God is talking to me through the verse. As you guys know, I do that. But I'm because of the, uh, just being time sensitive, I'm just going to read through the old chapter. And then it's going to break it down for those that are actually going to go into the new chapter. Or if you will, the new, the new version, if that makes sense. I'm just going to run through it. And just nod your head for those of you get this. Tammy, you guys with me on this so far? Excellent. Okay. Um, because he speaks to me when I take my time to comprehend, read, and it, it could be a hundred times. Every time I read through it, it's like there's a different word and a different spirit that takes over me in that interpretation to break it down, and especially if I'm sharing it on his behalf. But in this case scenario, I just want to read through it, okay? And then in turn, in the second time that I read through it in the new version, it's going to actually make a lot more sense for both parties, no matter how you actually read the word. So we're at four. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. Blessings are upon the head of the just, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall, shall rot. The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a prating fool shall fall. He that walketh upright walketh surely, but he that perverteth to ways shall be known. He that winketh with the eye causeth sorrow, but a prating fool shall fall. The mouth of a righteous man is a well of a life, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. Hatred stirred by strifes, but love covereth of all sins. In the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. Wise men lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is mere destruction. The richest man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. The labor of the righteous tendeth to life, the fruit of the wicked to sin. He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth reproof eareth. He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die 
for want of wisdom. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. It is as sport to a fool to do mischief, but a man of understanding hath wisdom. The fear of the wicked, it shall come upon him, but the desire of the righteous shall be granted. As the whirlwind passeth, so is the wicked no more, but the righteous is an everlasting foundation. Everlasting foundation. As vinegar to the teeth and as smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to them that send him. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. The hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. The way of the Lord is strength to the upright, but destruction shall be to the workers of inequity. The righteous shall never be removed, but the wicked shall not inhabit the earth. The mouth of the just bringeth forth wisdom, but the froward tongue shall be cut out. The lips of the righteous know what to what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speaketh forwardness. What was really crazy about that is I had a whole conversation about this yesterday. I was like, because it talks about a perverse tongue. But I'll get into that later. I'm going to jump right into this because it's a lengthy chapter in comparison. And I want to make sure that it's covered. So let's go to the new version so you fully get this. Proverbs of Solomon says it all. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. That means we will never go hungry if we live upright, but he will thwart and the craving of the wicked, he will just cast aside. See, lazy hands make for poverty. And that's why everything in this season is about action and what we're doing and getting up early and staying up late and understanding the season. But the diligent hands bring wealth. It doesn't say riches, it doesn't say diamonds, it doesn't say gold, it says wealth. And that's what we're talking about here in Proverbs is wealth of knowledge, wealth of understanding, wealth of wisdom. In turn, the byproduct is everything that you could ever possibly dream of. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son. That means we need to know the season that we're in. But he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son which means you might want to sleep a little less. I know some of you really enjoy that, getting your sleep. Blessings crown the head of the righteous, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. The name of the righteous is used in blessings, but the name of the wicked will, will rot. It will go to hell. It will never be heard. It will be erased from this world. The wise in heart accept commands. That means that we know how to submit to the lessons, to the leadership, to the authority, to our Father. The wise in heart accept commands. That's almost like people talking about commitment. Some people can't even stand the, the word of commands. Their, their, their head, their mind runs amok just because I got a command. You're going to command me? You're going to tell me what to do? Yes, bow down, our Father says. Learn how to submit. Stop being so resistant. Stop being so stubborn. Stop so, come on. Come on, you want, you want me to move the adversities and challenges? You're going to have to give something here. Keep doing it your own way, then go ahead, move your own rocks, move your own bank account, move your own debt, move your own relationships that are in toil. Go ahead. 
Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. That means everything in the dark will come to light. Whoever winks, that little wink, that little I got you, maliciously causes grief. And a chattering fool comes from ruin. Comes to ruin, forgive me. See, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. How many of us are always, what is it in today's society? Everybody's still looking for the fountain of life, and they're trying to shortcut that. Hey, let me go get some Botox. Hey, let me go and blow my lips. Hey, let me go get some fake breasts. Hey, let me put on some new butts on my, hey, let me get some, hey, let me put on some makeup. Hey, let me hide this up. Let me get some extensions. Let me do all this. Hey, I'm not against what you do to be able to enhance yourself. I do a little bit of something there and there, but some people just take it to the point where they walk by a fire and they might as well make the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life what this is saying is if we just grab hold to what he is giving us into this house these pillars and we walk in and we feed off of this we don't have to worry about any of that we don't have to use any enhancements ever 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 again but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence hatred serves up conflict but love covers over all things. Love covers over all things. That kind of stopped me when I was reading the first, second, and third time because I read through this whole chapter and you can't find love a whole lot of times, but when he speaks of love, which he does, look at how he uses it. Everything else is a particle or a piece or a pillar to the house. It is actually pieces that, that you have to put together and you have to build this house in order to hold up the this, this, this steel, right? To be able to build the steel house, if that makes any sense. I mean, it's not the steel house, the, the stone ceiling that goes, that goes over everything. Everything's put together. But when he makes reference, when he makes reference to love, he said it covers all wrongs, everything. Love of God, love of self. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning. Now look at that. Just stick with me on that. But a rod is for the back of one who has no sense. There goes Mr. Nelson's conversation on common sense. The wise store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. The wealth of the rich is for the fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. The wages of the righteous is light. That means you will be paid in full. There will be no part of no no layaway plan. You will get everything you want upfront and in full. You will be the employer, not the employee. But the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. Whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life. But whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. You know how much I get a high off of that and, and really turning away from it and, and really getting into a space. It works in twofold. It, it, for me, it works in a way where it, keep, it restrains me. It's, it's, it's helping me to truly stay upright in telling the truth. It's not perfect, but it definitely 
is a yellow sign. Like you might want to pause and think about what's about what, what, what you about to say. What you about to say? Because I'm just letting you know, this could kill you. I also get even a greater high when I know how many people have lied on me. <laughs> it just is what it is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I take pride in that because it came from God. It was Solomon, the wealthy. I mean, the wisest man in the world. How could I be upset over it? Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. You know what that's saying, right? It's tapping back into these pillars, that word called discretion. The prudent hold their tongues. She is not ended by multiplying words. Those that truly are walking upright understand discretion. That's his S. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. It's almost like E.F. Hutton. Everybody's listening because they are just squandering it and throwing it out there and having random conversations. They, he, a doctor's not going to talk about it except for what he knows. If he's in podiatry, if he is in numerology, whatever he's in. If he's in cardiology, if he's a, an attorney, if it's criminal. Why is a criminal attorney talking about taxes? Why are you listening to somebody who does not even, it's not even their vocation. It's my point. Somehow within our race, people of the human race is what I'm talking about. People want to talk about everything. They have an opinion about everything and know nothing. Be careful. The tongue of the righteous is silver. That choice is silver. But the heart of the wicked is of little value. The lips of the righteous nourish many. But the fools die for lack of sense. Common sense, I think you would say. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without, without any painful toil for it. There should be all the wealth that you're looking for is going to come at ease. It's just going to snap and open up for you as we get in alignment with his calling. A fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes. I don't understand that. I mean, I don't want to understand that because then I would be of that person. But a person of understanding delights in wisdom. I get a high off of learning, off of, I have an insatiable appetite off of wisdom. What the wicked dread will overtake them. What the righteous desire will be granted. When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone. That means everything that's bothering you that is wicked, that is wrong, that you think is evil, evil people, people that don't even, some people are evil and they don't even know they're evil. Some people show up and they don't even know how to smile. And their job is to serve. They're in a servant position in their vocation and they're in a bad mood. How do you show up and you're here to serve me and you got a frown on your face? You need to go home. Go home. If you can't be excited in your vocation at the labor of what you're doing to truly serve and bless people with whatever you do in your life, and you cannot make the other person who doesn't even know you smile out of just who you are because they walked into your home of business, you should be you should be fired. I don't care if it's serving food. You can't show up with a smile giving me my food. I don't know what you did to my food. You had a bad day. You just want to take it out. No, leave. When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so are the sluggards to those who send them. God, please send them away from us, whoever they are. Even if they're dormant and they don't know they're sluggards, could you just kindly pick them up and move them into another room way away from us? The fear of the Lord adds length to life. 
but the years of the wicked are cut short. The prospects of the righteous are joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. The way of the Lord is a refuge for the blameless, but it is the ruin of those who do evil. The righteous will never be uprooted. Those that are walking with me, being God, God, being one with us, we can never be uprooted. In fact, we will grow, we will, we will grow deep roots and feed the world, is how I interpret that. We are the harvest and the spirit for the rest of the world. We are the blessing and the miracle for all that cross our path. But the wicked shall not remain in the land. From the mouth of the righteous come the fruit of wisdom, but a perverse tongue will be silenced. I don't know if he keeps talking to me because I curse a lot. I don't, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm really taking this personal here. I'm starting to take this a little personal, y'all. What in God's name? I'm like, really? Come on, I can't be I can't be all that you want me to be and still curse when 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 this when these sluggards come into my life, when the wicked cross my path. You've made me a glow like God, and I'm here trying to guide all the rest of the ship in that are lost at sea. And then there's some that are just coming in and self-sabotaging, and you make me human. So can I curse a little bit? Is are you talking to me? I'm just I'm sorry, I'm just having a moment, y'all. Just having a moment to be a little bit transparent because you guys know I will. I got a sailor's tongue from time to time. The mouth of the righteous come with fruit of wisdom, but a perverse tongue will be silenced. I don't want to be silenced. I talk too much. I got a lot to say. <laughs> and in the last verse, the lips of the righteous know what find favor, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. Now, let me give you the summary of this because I still have my meal for you. And it's my, and it, you know, I just really want to go in on this a bit. So, so we're very clear. Check this out. Where am I here? So, I'm going to my notes. Stick with me here. So, Proverbs chapter 10, when I, when I have a summation of it, it really goes and sets up Proverbs and introduces the sayings of King Solomon. <clears throat> Just call Saul is what it, it's really what it's coming down to. See, wise children bring joy to their parents, but foolish children cause them grief. I want, I want you to understand this in, in my notes. The wickedness, the wickedness gains you treasures. Even if it gains you treasures, even if you gather anything out of it, it will not benefit you in the long run. The righteousness is what will save you from death itself. God feeds right, and that's what we are going to be fed through God by being righteous. And he's going to let the wicked people starve. He's really making a point here of people that are procrastinators, people that are lazy, people that are in, not in action people that make excuses, people that justify why they are not where they are through conversation. Because we all have great excusitis, a disease that you cannot rid yourself of with any medicine except for Proverbs. A busy hand makes you rich. He's giving you the instruction in the wisest man's mouth, in the wisest book, in the wisest chapter, that by taking action, making solid decisions, and moving forward past all your emotions, it will make you flat out rich to be able to feed the rest of the world. 
And in the same way, this is true for a child who gathers crops and one who sleeps during the harvest, this will be their demise. See, basically, laziness is not bad, it's terrible. And being industrious and laborious is extraordinary. The righteous receive further blessings, but the wicked ultimately are remembered for their evils. And he's toggling back and forth in this verse, calling Saul about the evil workings and the procrastinator. They might as well be equally yoked and be married to each other. Babbling fools are ruined in time. People who wink cause trouble. Got this little sneakiness about them? Watch out. You can see it. You can feel it in your spirit. You don't even need to look at them. When you shake their hand, when you look in their eye. People who know how to offer a proper rebuke can help make peace. The wise say things that cause peace. They're looking for peace. They are fighting for peace. They're fighting to get to a level ground. The wicked say things that cause violence. Love helps in strife. Rather than stirring up more. And wealth helps people protect their interests. And it's almost saying here, and I want you guys to get this, right? It's not almost. I apologize. I shouldn't. It's an absolute. It is saying wealth helps people protect their interest or their appointment with God. And it's illegal and it is terrible to live in poverty. It, it, it's, it's your birthright to be wealthy and you choose another lane and you have committed, convicted yourself to not just your poverty, but through several houses of your generational family tree because you did not get up and go to work. You sat up and wanted to get caught up in your feelings and emotions about something or someone. Being able to take a rebuke is a part of growing, by the way. Lies and slander mask inner hatred of foolishness. Using too many words means transgression is at hand. Putin people restrain their speech. A righteous person's tongue is like silver, but a fool's mind is worthless. The words of a righteous man are like food for the masses. You also got to understand God's blessings are not mixed with sorrow. So if you're having a pity party, stop it. Doing wrong is like sport to a fool, but doing right is also pleasurable pastime to wise people. See, the wicked people will need to face their worst fears, but the righteous will find their desire satisfied by default. The righteous endure all temporary calamities. All Notice the word, all temporary calamities. But the wicked are washed away. They are erased, eradicated, removed, deep-rooted, pulled out, and taken off the planet. Additionally, what you need to know is that lazy people hurt their employees and their employers and anyone that's around them. People that do not go to work, that get overthought, they get caught up in their emotions, they get caught up in their head, they overthink things. Let me think about it some more. You're hurting everybody else around you and you're being selfish because you think it's all about you. Your emotions, it's all about you. You're thinking, I just, I, I just, I, I got a lot. it's all about you. You don't, none of that pays any dividend in any way. You help nobody. In fact, you hurt people. At the end, but the author goes on to say, 
And here's some major points. The righteous will be rewarded and satisfied and have long lives, but the wicked, they won't. The words of the righteous people cause wisdom and goodness to thrive, but the opposite is true for the wicked. That's all he's saying. I can say it a thousand different ways. It's going to come out the same. I have this mill. Do you guys want the mill? I, I just, I'm not sure because we're at the cornerstone. I don't have a job. I'm just sharing. I'm going to read it anyway and go through my notes and my book because it's pieces of my book. And the mill has been really good for me. And I don't want to hold anybody back from getting to the plantation. Just, I'm just saying, I'm here for you. You can call me on your break. Does anybody want the mill this morning? Here, let me look at the chat. I just want to make sure. Because if you guys don't, I'm really okay. I can go right into takeaways and music because I just want to know if anyone. Okay, so I have a few yeses. Okay. I'm just checking. I'm just checking because I want to be honorable to getting you out of the plantation of a job or out of hawk or lazy or excuses or whatever you're going through. That's what this is for. This preseason, this first of the year in October, this season right now. So I'm going to give you my blessing and my meal, as you can see. And I still, I hope you have really good notes for those who are going to speak up on the takeaways. And I'm going to do this. I'm not going to share the whole meal. I'll share just enough of the meal. So I actually did some searching. And what was really amazing in this is I actually have a piece that goes into, uh, write this down, Proverbs 10, 18. It's one of my biggest takeaways. To slander is to be a fool. See, it's rare to find a political candidate, and I want you to understand, I don't normally talk about politics, but it's, you can't find a political candidate these days who runs a totally clean campaign. But slandering isn't limited to politicians. If given the right set of circumstances, each one of us can be tempted to degenerate and go backwards and regress and go into this space. Before we do this, however, we need to read these words carefully. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary, who may live in your holy hill, he who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and cast no slur on his fellow man. That's Psalms. I told you Psalms is the fraternal twin to Proverbs. So listen to how close those two come together. Specifically, Psalms 15, one through three is what I just gave you. And I want you to just marry that with what I've been sharing and how powerful that is, is why I wanted to give you this meal. Because the Lord who may dwell in your sanctuary, who, now, I want, and the way I'm saying it, I want you to, I'm gonna slow it down. He's saying, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue. Who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow men? That's who, Psalms 15, 1 through 3. Can you recall the last time you spoke words that tore someone down? People have been provoking me over the last two months like nobody's business. I have to ask myself, as you, what is the motive? You know, why did you feel a need to diminish them in the eyes of other people? 
which was not my intention, nor do I believe it's others. I think it's emotion. But at some point, unconsciously, it's what, this is the end result. See, we got to ask ourselves, were we speaking out of pain? Of having been hurt? Did we have envy? Do they have envy? Because it's not always us. And I know a lot of people talking negatively right now. I have to shut it down. It gives birth to thoughts. I actually don't start to, I really don't have anything negative to say until someone says something negative to me. It's something I pray on to control because I, I immediately reflect what is thrown at me. If you throw love at me, I'm going to throw a whole lot of love more back at you. But if you throw a dagger, I'm coming with a I'm nine in my hand with a hollow tip. I got to pray on that, God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Have we not learned to let envy motivate us ever? Like, no, like not ever. I mean, have we not learned that it does not help? It does not serve. It does not, it is not of God. It doesn't help us achieve our goals. Instead of making us, it defames us. Here's what it says. It says, the Bible says, biblically, let's go to scripture. Promotion comes from the Lord. Psalm 75, 6 through 7. The scripture should cause us to become a team player, not a competitor. There's no reason to snuff somebody else's light out so that we can shine. God has already declared that no one can thwart his purpose for our life. The Lord Almighty has spoken. Who can change his plans? When his hands move, who can stop him? Who can go against us? Isaiah 14, 27. And since God has already secured our destiny and promised to avenge all wrongs perpetrated against us, we never need to engage in slander. Oh, y'all better stick with me. The mill gets better because I want you to get this one. This was my topic. I want you to understand this because it's going to lead me to tomorrow's conversation. And write this down. It says, God, God has claims on your life. God, God's claims on your life. G-O-D-S, claims on your life. God has claims on your life. See, before I can feed you what you need to be fed to exalt yourself from all circumstances and situations, you first need to know who owns you and who has a claim on your life. Hence the word submission. See, the first one comes from 1 Corinthians 6, 19. You are not your own. You are not your own. Picture two people standing outside of a house, right? And one says, this is my house. The other replies, how come? The first one says, for three reasons. I built it, I paid for it, and I live in it. Let's look at the first reason why you belong to God, creation. Some folks think we all came from an amoeba. The problem is they can't tell us where the amoeba came from. The Bible says God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1.27. It tells you this. It, there is no amoeba. Some people say that the earth came into existence as a result of the Big Bang Theory. Yet if you told them the car you drive right now was the result of an explosion at an assembly plant in Detroit, they question your sanity. Stupid. Just crackish. If there's a design, there must be a designer. You can write that down for your notes. If there's a design, there must be a designer. 
if there's a creation, there must be a creator. And since God made us, he holds ownership rights over us. Biblically, it says, do not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Do you not know this? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. I'm giving it to you. The navigation and GPS is on and I'm in full realm. Go ahead and talk, God. Not only did God create you, he gave you certain gifts so that you could fulfill his purpose and bring glory to him. So before they tag your toe and write your obituary, ask God. Ask him today. Ask him. What was I born to do if you don't already know? Only by finding and fulfilling his purpose can you feel God-shaped space. Listen to what I said. Not until you actually fulfill his purpose. Will you ever feel the God-shaped space that lives within you that you were born with from day one? As you jump and you put in 1 Corinthians 6.20, ye are bought with a price. See, God's second claim on your life, and I want you to get this so you understand the first claim, so we can definitely get to the second claim. The first claim, if you didn't get my message of what I'm writing and what I'm reading and what I'm sharing and what's coming out of my spirit as I speak, is creation. Oh, the second claim he has on you, if you didn't get it in the first metaphor of the story in which I gave you, it's called Calvary. See, the story told of two friends that went to law school. One became a judge, the other one became a lawbreaker. And they both ended up in court. Guess who was sitting in the judge's seat? His friend. So how could the judge be merciful, yet still be just? Taking off the black robe of justice, he walked over to the dock where the president stood and said, not only am I this man's friend today, I am his savior. I will stand chargeable with, his, with all his debts. At the cross, get what I'm saying here, and I want you guys to get this message. At the cross, God took all of our sins and put it on cross. He took all, not, not some, not a little bit, not, just, not a smidgen. He took all of our sins and put it on Christ's account. Each one of he, Christ has an account. And he took all of Christ's righteousness and put it on our account. So what God did when he gave him that cross to bear all of our sins, he said, I'm going to take all your sins and that's going to be charged to Christ. And he said, everything that I made before this world was even created, the universe was even thought of was my son. And I'm going to take all the righteousness which I made in the most, <laughs> everything that Christ is, all of his righteousness, I'm going to put it in every one of our accounts. We're going to be charged with righteousness. And the moment we trust Christ as our savior, we are no longer under the sentence of death. Y'all better stick with me this morning. The value of something is determined by the price of a buyer, what the buyer is willing to pay for it. At Calvary, God said, at Calvary, God said, 
This is how much I love you. Your creator became your redeemer. The maker of the universe, as man for man was made of curse, the claims of law that he had made unto the uttermost he paid. To fulfill his purpose in the earth, God always had a man. To deliver the Israelites from Egypt, he used Moses. To challenge the prophets of Baal, he used Elijah. But when it came to our salvation, God saw there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation, Isaiah 59, 16. The good news is when God could not find a man, he himself became a man and that we who are the sons of men might become the sons of God. I don't know if y'all with me in this morning. Anybody get in this mail because it's really rich. You might have to go back on this piece in itself and listen again. Listen, Linda, listen, because this gets juicy. I want to get to the third claim. I so want to spend time on that second claim of Calvary because that is the meat in between the two buns. The third claim on our life, God's claim on our life, 1 Corinthians 6.20, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. God's third claim on our life is called consecration. The first claim, I said, if you aren't taking notes and if you want to go back and listen, listen, listen again, it's called listen, 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 listen. It's called creation. The second claim is called Calvary. The third claim on our life that God has a claim on our life is called consecration. It's not a word we hear that much these days. It means to be set aside for the exclusive use of it. You say, but I have so many faults. I know I do. God's not looking for perfection. God's not looking for perfection. Stop trying to be perfect. He's looking for willingness. Scripture says every high priest was taken from among men. Every high priest was taken from among men. It's, it's stated in Hebrew 5.1. The people God calls, and I had this conversation with, with, with the sister that's, that called me out of nowhere, out of nowhere, and was talking to me about how God was calling her, but he, she did not understand how God was calling her. He, he, she did not. Then I was like, you're actually cheating the universe. If God is calling you, that's not a fake voice. That you, don't, you can't make up a voice when you hear God's voice. And you sitting up there resisting and trying to understand it and think about it and become a sluggard about it. And you sitting up there hesitating and procrastinating and creating stress and killing everybody else. The people God calls and uses are all human and flawed in some way. Why would God call someone like that? Because they can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. See, they also are subject to weakness. Now you understand how I wrote this because now I'm being transparent and I'm letting you know how he called. What did I tell you guys the other day? You cannot go and heal somebody in alcoholism unless you've been an alcoholic. You cannot get somebody off of drugs unless you have actually been in drugs. You cannot help anybody that was a convict unless you are an ex-con. You cannot help. We all have our own path. I'm just being transparent to my own. I know 
How many times do you hear me say, I'm the most perfect man you ever met, the most perfectly flawed man you ever met, and I have thousands of flaws. But somehow, in God's name, he keeps putting me back in that old spiritual. Somehow, it puts me back in that story with Humpty Dumpty and keeps putting me back on the wall. I fall and puts me back to that again. I don't know how that happens, but I'll get back up on the wall again. Here I am, God, talking to our people. Let me do what you do. You said, if I show up, you'll show up. See, you say, my parents want me to go to Bible school and be a minister. Well, there's good news and bad. The good news is that the Bible school can, can deepen your devotion to Christ and give you your insights into this work. The bad news is that your parents can't call you. Only God can. I hope you got that message. I'm going to say it again. Because it's a very, it's a, as you guys know, my mother is constantly saying this, right? Constantly saying, you're supposed to be in the pulpit. I meet a bishop. You're supposed to be in the pulpit. I meet a rabbi. You're supposed to be in the pulpit. I meet everybody. You know you should be doing this. You know you should be a pastor. Look, look, look. My parents want me to go to Bible school and be a minister. Well, it's good news and bad news. The good news is Bible school it can deepen your devotion make you have a greater understanding and your insights into his word and scripture. The bad news is that your parents can't call you. Only God can call you. No man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God. See, that was God. Did you hear that chime right there? How will I know I'm called to a ministry. Fruitfulness. When controversy broke out in Israel over who should be in leadership, God told Moses to pick up a man from each of the 12 tribes. That man's rod was placed in the Ark of the Covenant overnight. And the one whose rod budded was the one God had called. The Bible says, a man's gift makes room for him. Proverbs 18, 16. We haven't even got to that word yet. When God calls you, he will open the doors, make the connections, and provide all resources. All he asks of you, of me, is a life that's consecrated to doing his will. Now, before I go into prayer, I want you to understand this of where I am with this conversation with God and Proverbs and prayer. It's really irritating me. Okay, stick with me here. Okay. Can you guys still hear me clearly? I don't know. I thought you had to back. That's good. Okay. This is, this is the icing on the cake. We're going to wrap up. And you can write it down. Galatians 5.25. Let us stay. Let us keep in step with the spirit. Because what led me, and it's like, you know, Shanette asked me, what led you to do this? What led you to speak? What led you to share this word in this capacity? Well, the icing is called learn to be led by God's spirit. In Christian life, it's, it's about having a personal relationship with God. Then God must still speak to me or you or us today. But a relationship can't be built on one-way speeches. First, it requires a commitment. Then it requires communication between two people in which each speaks and listens 
to each other. You are controlled by the spirit if the spirit of God lives in you, Romans 8 and 9. That means having spirit-controlled responses and making spirit-led decisions. When you follow God, life no longer consists only of that which you can be seen, felt, or figured out. It includes walking by faith. I need you guys to get that part. It means trusting him, learning to know his voice, learning to know his voice, learning to know his voice, and the leading of his spirit. Some of us are reluctant to do that because we've been seen. See, we've been, we are being seen. We are transparent. We are actually, we're trying, we don't think we've been seen. We've actually seen people also who claim to be doing it and their approach scares us. So we sense the Spirit's leading claim. Are y'all following me on this? Stick with me here. The Spirit, we start to doubt. We start to analyze. We conclude it isn't logical and don't pay attention to it. Some of us want to obey the Spirit, but we're not sure. We know that he's really speaking to us, but we're not sure. We wonder, is this God's voice or of my own desires? We've all experienced this. It's a normal part of the Christian life. This is why Paul writes, Apostle Paul, here we go. You know I'm talking about myself. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Spiritual guidance is learned one step at a time. Even the most mature believer will stumble and get it wrong at times. No problem. The Lord delights in a man's way. He makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Psalms 37, 23 through 24. Hence from Psalms came the poem, Footprints, who carry you when you don't know you've been carried. You're trying to figure out how you got through that storm, how you got through that debt, how you got through that divorce how you got through that failure of a relationship. There was God carrying you when you didn't think you'd make it. And he will always make a way, find a way, or you will be shown a way. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, that are in heaven, we come to you with bowed head. And for those that are not in a position, their spirit and their life is in your hands. We ask you for forgiveness. We ask you for your love, for all of our inequities and all of our gratitude for the love in which you gave your son, your only son, your only begotten son, to give us righteousness and to take our sins, to take our pain and give us his joy. We ask that you continue to be a DPS for us, a navigation system, and give us common sense to actually pay attention and follow the instruction. We ask today that you move all adversity and all challenges and all obstacles. We ask that you mend relationships where there is pure love, but there is a fog where people can't see because emotions are high. We ask that you have people live in a heart of forgiveness and not to throw stones in a glass house. We ask for you to give us abundance so that we can be a blessing in the season that is to come. For we know where there is sun, there, should, there shall soon be rain. And where there is rain, 
soon shall be a storm. And through the eye of a needle, we know only you can take us. We know there will be death, we know there will be birth. In all of this, we know you have your hand in it and it is of your will and none of ours. I ask from a health perspective that you lay hands on all of this family and those beyond. From a mind perspective, I ask that you allow people to be still and listen only to you. In a prosperous perspective, I ask that you give each person that is within our family the fortitude, persistence, and the resilience to truly have the audacity to be to dream big and know that that was an idea placed in their heart by you. And for that if they could not actually manifest their thoughts, then it would have never been an idea in their heart in the first place. But when placed in your hands, we know all things are possible. We ask that you bring this to a tighter family, a tighter synergy, a tighter cohesiveness, a tighter love, a tighter support, this tighten like crochet. Could you just tighten it? Could you just, could you, could you bring one person who needs confidence, another person who will share it? Can you bring one person who needs knowledge, another person who has it? Can you bring one person who lacks in finances, another person who can support? So long as each person is committed to being in a temporary season and turning their life over to you for your purpose and building your kingdom. Can you allow people to truly be at peace through you? This is my will and request. This is our will and our request. And we stand in massive, massive in tears of gratitude for just getting us up this morning and being able to make, create the space and time to devote to you. In all this, we say, in Jesus' name, amen. <sighs> all right. I feel like a million dollars. Okay, two. Two million. <laughs> all right, before I get to my music and my song, hold it, let me conclude, let me conclude. I approve this message. Thank you, God. <laughs>